This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk in the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. And I am Zach Moore, and we are back for part two of our conversation with John Tenuto about the Wrath of Khan on VHS, all things Star Trek, home video, past, present, and future, so let's just jump right back into it. Energize. There's sort of one of the, the things that's out there that, you know, I never say that that it's it's absolutely wrong or is wrong or yeah because who really who knows but um you know wrath of we we have a lot of the memos uh from wrath of khan and its production and in those memos it it was it was meant to be a tv movie of the week that and it was it was budgeted as a tv movie of the week and there's some people who say no it was never it was it was produced by the tv side that everybody agrees with that that's a fact right but that it was never meant to be a tv movie of the week well you know we have the budgets that show them actually doing like well if we switch to a, a you know 35 millimeter and we or if we switch to a movie it's going to be this amount of money and and you know and there's to me that it started off as like what was meant to be a two hour movie of the week. And then now when Meyer is participating in it by that time, it's only a movie, you know, he, he's not participating in it when it was in those stages when it was a TV movie, but, but that it was, it started off as, you know, an hour and a half TV movie of the week to be probably, you know, kind of forgotten except by Star Trek fans and then turned into the biggest opening film of all time to me is a phenomenal story. I remember it well. I certainly do. And then E.T. came along that same year. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, then, dec- and decimated it, right? <laughs> yeah. I remember just like the, the, the following week, because you're competitive, right, when you're a Star Trek fan. And E.T. was obviously a brilliant movie, but it was just, it was just funny. Uh, that uh, I, I just remember them being at the cinemas together. You know, back in the day, Zach, as I sit here in my rocking chair. But um, <laughs> So, John, I, I know we're, we're running on uh, close on time here. I wanted to, to just... A question I, I really wanted to ask you because, um, and I think I know the answer to this, but I, I'd never assume, you know, I, I saw a lot of polls and things that came out right after Discovery about, you know, was Discovery the best first season of Star Trek ever? And uh, of course, my bias is so towards TOS for all the right reasons, I mm-hmm. think. 
I was curious. I, I was curious your thoughts on that because, um, man, I, I, I haven't seen, I, I love all the Star Trek incarnations to a certain level, some better than others, but um, I, I, I just don't know if it, if it cleared that bar. What are your thoughts there? Uh, well, you know, I, I always think of Star Trek, to me, Star Trek's like pizza, right? And, and there's no such thing as bad pizza, but there are pizzas that are better than other pizzas. And so I'll, I'll take a, I'll take a bad episode of Star Trek any day, cause it's probably better than the best episodes of a lot of other shows, you know? Um, but I think, you know, I, this is just my reaction as a fan, my honest reaction to Discovery. There is a lot to admire, I think, with Discovery. Um, there's also a lot that I, I just me as a, as myself, just only speaking as myself, not even as a sociologist or anything, just, just as a fan, mm-hmm. I'm a little troubled by the amount of violence. Um, I'm a little troubled by the, it seemed, it seemed like it was a little lost to me. And I think part of that is just the fact of how it was created there. There, there was, there was a, a, a situation that occurred in the middle of its creation and the show became something different and they probably did the best that they could under the time constraints that they had. And there were moments of it that were beautiful and there were characters that I cared for. I really like Stamets cause I think, I think I'd like him so much um, and I think my wife and son agree because he's probably the most traditional Star Trek. He's the most recognizable Star Trek character to me on the show. When I look at the show and I say, well, who, who could you pick up and move to? I think it would be Saru mm-hmm. and Stamets. You could kind of pick them up and flop them into next gen and they'd be okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know that that's true of a lot of the other characters, at least not yet. And so I think there's a lot to admire about Discovery. I liked it. I was I was always excited to see what was going to happen next. I was a little disappointed in the lack of exploration that was done in that season. I mean, I they they only went to like five planets, and for some of them, they weren't even on them very long. I it's it 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 it, it, it missed some of what I thought made Star Trek Star Trek, which is the exploration and the and and, and not just exploring relationships which is part of star trek but also exploring really big ideas and exploring other races as a metaphor for something so i just kind of felt like i i had been promised that i was really going to get to know the klingons and i don't really feel that i got to know the klingons very much um and just things like that and so um you know i i would not call it the best season of star first season of star trek i think um you know, uh, every season, every Star Trek has growing pains. I was very, you know, I was hopeful in the last, the last few episodes of Discovery, it sort of felt like, oh yeah, this is like, this is, this is, and, it, and I don't mean to say it has to be familiar because if I, I don't want the same thing again, I, I, if I want the same thing, I can go back and watch TOS. I can go back and watch Next Gen. I don't mind different. Um, but I, I do think, I my my hope, and this is just a this is a separate issue, I guess. But my hope is that this arc-based TV trend will end at some point because I do think there's a value to sort of season arc-based storytelling. I think there's a value to micro arc-based storytelling, and I think there's a value to episodic television. Mm-hmm. And and I think there's a there, and I don't know that this seasonal arc thing can necessarily 
it can be pulled off, but what happens is then the next season becomes something so different that a lot of times shows move characters fundamentally from who they were the prior season. I'm thinking of shows like Arrow or yeah. Flash, where it's yeah, the, the second. Yeah. yeah, the second season is unrecognizable to the first season, even if they're the same people, because the situation starts to dictate. So you know, the, what's the difference? The, the difference is in the original Star Trek, Captain Kirk was a fairly static character across the 79 episodes, but that's what made it interesting because you got to see how that static character reacted to a bunch of different scenarios. Now what you have is the scenario stays the same for a season and the character changes. Mm -hmm. And, and that's harder, I think for me to have, like, I, it's harder for me to root for somebody because I don't really know who they are. No, that's an excellent point. I feel like, uh, and, and, it shows like I'd say like Deep Space Nine or the X Files or even you know Battlestar Galactica kind of found a nice middle ground of that. Mm -hmm. But it we're we're yeah, we've fallen to a trap now where it's like you can't. The thing about Star Trek, right, is you could take one episode, you know, one hour, forty-five minutes, right, a nice self-contained story with just very fulfilling uh, beginning, middle, and end. But now you cannot like go back and watch one random episode of like Lost. <laughs> Or heroes, or yeah, something. absolutely. Chapter seventeen of four hundred. It's like it's it's not very fulfilling. So yeah, that middle ground. I I think we need to pull back. I, I am right there with you, John. That's a great point. So I think I think the fan reaction. Not that I would ever want to speak for other fans, but there isn't. I I I do this too. When you see something new that you've been waiting for for a long time, there's a tendency to elevate it because you're having an emotional reaction to it right away, which is usually love. I mean, it's, it's sort of like, you know, wow, is that yes, you know? And, and so, you know, I, I always try to scale back and say, well, was Last Jedi as good as Empire Strikes Back? I need a little time to kind of think about that. I think, we, I think all fans, we all have that experience. I think all of us where mm -hmm. we kind of come to something and we, 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 we might have a really passionate, either dislike for it or like for it right away. And then you sit with it for a while and you might reevaluate it or you might revisit it and you might change your opinion. And I think, um, you know, that I think that may occur with discovery where people are going to say, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. People may, they are, and I'm, and I, you know, and it's okay. It's, it's really great. I, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy if somebody comes to Star Trek through discovery and, and that that's their introduction. And so for them, I, of, of course, for somebody who their first introduction is to whatever it is, it's usually your first James Bond that you love the best. It's your first Superman that you love the best. And so, of course, that makes total sense to, to that that someone would love that. For me, I I would say it was the most unusual season of Star Trek. I would say it was the most eventful. In other words, it was the most where every week it was like an event episode, you know. But at some point, you have to stop where every week there's a surprise. <laughs> I think, and and I think some of that was the show trying to put itself. I don't want to say right, but. I, I, I read Michael Burnham's speech at, at the, in the last episode. <laughs> Some people are going to probably hate me. I read it as an apology. Like what you saw the last 15 episodes <laughs> was Lorca, Lorca land, right? And that that's not what's, that's not what we are as Starfleet. What we are as Starfleet is these really good things. And guess what? From now until the end of the show, that's what we're going to be. That's that's how I read that speech she was making to, to um, the Starfleet brass at the at the end when she got her her mm -hmm. award. Um, I I mean I could be wrong, but that's kind of how I read it, and that's why I'm very hopeful that 
we're going to get we're going to get a more exploration um, and maybe that middle ground where instead of doing a season long arc, they're going to do. Because I think Enterprise had a great idea. You know, they were just sort of trying. They were just kind of getting that feeling in the fourth season of like, yeah, do three episode mini arcs. You know. And, and and then have those have consequences later. That's okay, you know. Keep keep it realistic. Um, and I hope that they adopt that. With I would love to see that. I, I would really love for them to move away from where you know. I mean, I get it. I get that. Like, if this was the original Star Trek, these fifteen hours would have happened in one episode, right? Mm, you know, right. Spock, <laughs> right. Spock, Spock mutinies and and but but that is part of the problem with modern television. Because that story kind of could have been told in a couple of episodes, those 15 hours. We didn't need all that time. It, it's sort of what happens with comic books today, right? Where right. when you read a comic, they're like six issues. That would have been like the first eight pages in, you know, a, a comic from the 1960s or something. Where it's sort of like you, the storytelling gets dragged out because they they have to have it be a season long, and then what you have is adjustments made because of that to the story. And I just think that's a mistake from kind of a creative point of view. Well, and, we'll have to talk comic books sometime, John. I'm a huge Arrow, Flash, comic book guy myself. So I just didn't know you are as well. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. You know, yeah. I mean, I love, you know, I, I and, and it isn't that I don't enjoy the new ones or, or anything like that. I mean, I, I'm very excited. I, 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 you know, I, I would love to see like, <laughs> I would love to see a show called Star Trek Stamets, um, you know, or Star Trek Saru. I hope they get elevated in the second season a little bit more. Um, and, but it is strange. Like I'm, you know, being, a, it's like, I don't know the bridge crew, you know, I don't really, they have no personalities yet. Mm. And, and we didn't get a chance because we spent so many time, so much time with characters like, will Lorca matter anymore? So, I mean, we spend so much time with him, and will he matter? I mean, he may matter in a symbolic way on the show, but, like... Well, it'll be it'll be just like, uh, well, you mentioned The Flash. It'll be just like Harrison Wells, season one of The Flash. If we do get prime Lorca, he'll be like, you know, Earth 2 Harrison Wells, right? And it's like, well, that's not yeah. the same guy that I loved in the first season. So, yeah, that's that's the danger. That's, that's a great breakdown of, of television today. I didn't expect that, John. This is a great tangent. We, we love we loved tangents here on Stan Robert. That is an excellent. <laughs> oh, yeah. Was, I'm was, sorry. That was awesome. It was awesome. You know, we, we, we haven't, you know, you've been on Standard Orbit before. You've never been on with us. And so... Uh, you know, we were taking, I, I, I took a liberty there to, to change course a little bit just because this is probably the most fresh Star Trek thing and really just wanted to get your, your feel on it. So I, I do appreciate it and uh, really do appreciate all the great information you provided. This, uh, you know, um, it's, it's one thing to, to listen to podcasts all the time, which we do, <laughs> Zach and I and the, and the rest of us, and, and we've listened to you many times, um, uh, oh, especially you. in the other Standard Orbit, or I should say version one. I, what are we, 3.0? 3.0. Something like that. Really, yeah, who knows? Really Enterprise yeah. A, I think. Yeah. Something yeah. like that, yeah. And, and you know, and, and God, what, what, I, I even posted up when, um, when Star Trek II was released again um, back in September. Uh, that that show you did on Standard Orbit and just you know uh, with Mike Schindler and and Drew and and they, they that got some nice hits even back then it was a, such a great history lesson and um, just just so yeah I'm I'm gonna see Star Trek two in the theater with William Shatner up in Concord New Hampshire on uh, May oh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so. how great. Oh, my gosh. I do kind of laugh, though, because he's going to be doing Q&A afterwards, and it's like, he doesn't remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
They need they need Scott Manns too. Well, I loved oh, yeah. when they showed it, and they showed it in the theaters. Was about was that a year ago? Not even not even really about September. Year, about six months. Ago. Yeah, yeah, September. Yeah. And um, and they uh, you know, I thought Scott had a just did a great yeah job kind of guiding because it is you know and 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 bill starts to tell the story from star trek 3 you know mm-hmm. and uh <laughs> and he kind of kind of guides him back or whatever but you know i always think you know it it it, it is like yeah i i kind of get that like i always say like i would hate to like watch me teach you know what i mean like i would i would sure. be bored because because i did it you know and i that's probably true of all of us in our occupation like who would want to watch themselves work you know and um, and then you move on to the next thing or whatever. But I I really think this is just a pitch, right? I really think Wrath of Khan needs a proper making of book. Now Alan Asherman did a book that was really great back in the day when the film came out, but it was more like a um, you know it was it was an official studio, you know, so it was it was kind of like interviews with people, and I really. Think would, and then, you know, we have Nicholas Meyer. He has a chapter in his book about Wrath of Khan. But I think I think Wrath of Khan, and frankly, I think a lot of the Star Trek films, but particularly Wrath of Khan, um, that deserves a the, – the two books I'd love to see the most. I want to see a, a Star Trek Beyond novel just because it irks me that I don't have one, and I have one for every other Star Trek film. And, I, and Beyond, I think – really deserves it because I think there's great backstory that we could learn. I don't think, sure. I don't know. If we're well, that, that goes back to what you were talking about, uh, home video being prevalent, like novelizations were a huge yeah. part of you not being able to revisit the film at home. So you had the novel. Mm-hmm. And so now we've gotten to the point where, oh, I guess we don't need those anymore. Where, where's Alan Dean Foster? We need him. Just give him a call. I'm sure. He'll Absolutely. Write him, right? Oh, no kidding. Yeah. I mean, if I, if I had like, if I, if I was super rich, I'd just pay somebody to write the Star Trek. I'd, pay, I'd ask Alan Dean Foster, could you please write Star Trek Beyond just for me? Uh, but, <laughs> but, you know, when you well, talk- yeah, but I think Star Wars has a good model, right? I mean, I just started reading the last Jedi novel and I thought, well, you know, this is interesting. It's got input from the director. Um, it's got not only the deleted scenes in the book, but it takes scenes that the director kind of wanted to do but couldn't. Wow. So I'm just I'm without I don't want to give anything away to anybody who hasn't read the book. So but I'm like maybe 50 pages in, and I'm starting to get into the kind of where the story kind of begins, you know, and and in terms of the film. And I've really loved this additional stuff because it isn't just. It, you know, it isn't just sort of like, well, the mind of the one author and they're padding, you know, or doing something like that. It's really genuinely expanded, you know, interesting stuff. And knowing it's a Star Wars book, therefore, it it's canon. So what's in there is, has, you know, has legitimacy. And I think that might be an interesting model for, for Star Trek books, because I know Star Trek Beyond had very different iterations and, mm-hmm. and, and, and even its final version, there were changes that were made. In terms yeah, Admiral Pierce love... was added in reshoots as a character. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah. I mean, just, I would love to see kind of where the story was originally going to go with like a making of, and I'd also love to see a novelization, but I think Star Trek two really needs, um, uh, really needs a making of book and, 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 you know, I'd love to have, I mean, if gosh, if Nicholas Meyer could write it, I mean, just really yeah. write a deep, deal, be fantastic or have somebody who, you know, who worked on it and who, who has a kind of an overview of it. But I think that's also one of the things that's been lost a little bit with, uh, 
with DVDs too, right? I mean, we don't get as many kind of making of things for Star Trek where we used to. There was a making of Insurrection. There was, a, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know, there were making of books for some of the other Star Trek films, and um, there was one for Star Trek Five, and and um, you know, that's kind of the weird, the interesting thing about Star Trek is the it's always the it's like the film it's 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 like the alternate film that gets something so one had a making of book three had a making of book you know two did too but you know four didn't you know six kind of had one but it wasn't i don't think it was official you know i mean there's just mm -hmm. uh there's so many great stories to tell i wish that they could they would go back and tell it and tell it from and 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 clear up some of the mythology about the movies because there is a lot of mythology and there's a lot of people who believe this and it really it didn't happen that way you know. Um, uh, you know, I'll I'll say one thing though about you talk about making of and so forth just to pull it back to Star Trek Two, it mm -hmm. is still the best movie commentary of any movie I have ever seen. Oh uh, yeah, Absolutely. listening to Nicholas Meyer walk through that film. The things he talks about, the things he makes you think about, the, the direction he goes when he's just talking about art in general and the way he puts things together. Uh, there are quotes from that commentary that I have adapted in the business world and use all the time. It, it, it is one of, it, it is my favorite by far. I'll watch that movie with the commentary and prefer that sometimes over than just watching the movie. It is that good. Yeah, he, he is, you know, what I, what I love is like, what one of the things that we, wanted to do with uh one of the talks that we gave is kind of a celebration of the behind the scenes people which is really what all of the research that my wife and i do into star trek is about and a lot of the articles we write for star trek dot uh, com are about although we're doing one that's going to be fun coming up about game shows star trek and game shows but so sometimes we might do something fun but but a lot of times it's celebrating the names uh, we we always want you know our, our our biggest joy would be for someone to watch the credits of Star Trek two and go I can put a face to that I know that what that person looks like I know what their contribution was and so it's not just gain 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 Rescher's name going by you know uh, it's it, it the people know who he was and what he did for the film and and um, uh, that was I that, to me that was one of the great things about that commentary because he talked about this as a collaborative nature of that film and the contributions people made. So one of the times we, we uh, communicated with him, we wanted to know about um, costumes because we wanted to talk about Robert Fletcher's contributions uh, to the costume design. And uh, <laughs> funny, he gave us a great line, which we use in the talk, which is his wife um, said, about the costumes that they were nautical but nice which i thought was instead of naughty but nice but i thought that was a great <laughs> line um but that they were that they were really um meant to be a reflection of the prisoner of zenda so i'm like oh okay. so i need to go back and look at that so we, we my wife and i go back and we watch prisoner of zenda and like oh my god i mean they are the star trek two costumes by inspiration absolutely i mean they're red and they're, the, the, the the you have the thing that comes down with a flap that comes down i mean mm -hmm. And and but but he gave us so much more than that. He talked about how costume is character, and because I had told him I love the moment when when McCoy in Star Trek Six, he's just he's, he's drunk, he's exasperated. Uh, they've had that horrible dinner with the Klingons; it hasn't gone well, and he just rips open his collar, you know, boom, and just the flap comes down. And 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 uh, and he says, "Oh yeah, I mean that's you 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 have to use costume." So then he go, he starts teaching me in the email about Lawrence of Arabia and costume. And he, I think he thinks in film history, like he, that's it. And, and, 
and and he can and he can be conversant in the popular culture side of it and do like like one of my favorite things he ever wrote was the liner notes to John Williams Star Wars soundtrack which is just insane right like why is Nicholas Meyer writing this mm. <laughs> writing this the Star Wars commentary and it was and it's brilliant you know it gives me a whole new appreciation of it and um anything like that where you can listen to it and get an appreciation for why people did what he did I mean, you know the other thing i like about him real fast too is he doesn't tell you how you're supposed to interpret the scene. And I love that. That's the one, like if, if, if I, this is only my guess, but if I, if I asked him like, why, why did you do this? You know, um, or why is Khan got one glove or something? You're not going to get an answer. Until we get the series, we're going to get the answer, right, John? Well, I, oh, that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to completely understand what he said for 30 years when he gives us that answer. <laughs> they're going to call it the glove of the glove of Khan. That's the name of the show. Yes. That'd be brilliant. Well, you know, uh, to, to, to wrap things up, to, uh, one last question I wanted to ask you about Star Trek II was, uh, you know, ABC had had his expanded version, you know, on the mm -hmm. air in the 80s. And then that's the one a lot of people, you know, got used to watching if people hadn't caught, you know, in the theater, that's the one they had seen. Uh, and then you get this VHS tape and it's missing scenes, you know, mm -hmm. was there any, is there any kind of buzz about that when that came out or people like, Hey, what happened to these scenes? Or do people just not remember it that much to even notice it? Well, you know, what's, you, you know, the, the funny, the funniest thing is how many people have kind of false memories about sequences so and and part of it is because of um uh imagery that gets released you know or key art that gets released so um for example on the star trek 2 movie poster the one that is the the original one where you kind of have different images almost mm -hmm. in like a, like like um Little rectangles squares. around yeah around a picture um there's an image of uh, uh, David and Kirk and uh, David's kind of above Kirk with a knife and but they're laying on the ground yeah I remember know, that yeah with one another and so that's because that was filmed like that the original fight sequence between the two of them and we have the images of that fight was much longer and there is a moment where Kirk actually pulls you know he, he thinks he can have, get an advantage on on David who's younger right by pulling him down onto the ground in an unexpected maneuver and David winds up getting the best of Kirk and actually David has Kirk under his knife literally until the mother walks in and in the movie it's just a much quicker little like boom 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 and it's over there's no like really big giant fight scene there between the two of them and but it's but that because that image stays there people will say you know well what but, but I saw that scene you know um you know, it was in the original release where I saw it on the ABC TV version. I saw mm -hmm. that fight scene and that fight scene was never assembled as a deleted. It was never assembled as a scene. It was, it was, it was, uh, they did the stunt work on it and they did the pay, the blocking for it. But to my knowledge, they never actually filmed it. It was only filmed by camera, by, by set photographer. And if they filmed it, it's never surfaced, right? Which is possible. They may have filmed it, but, um, and they did film, for example, the, there, there was sort of half the con baby, half the stuff was filmed and half wasn't filmed because it just didn't work out with the kid itself. But I have the audio of the of the con baby scene with, with Terrell and Chekhov and them seeing the kid outside the window and there's a crib and the thing. And a lot of people say, well, they've seen that, but they haven't seen it because but what they did was they read the novel and it's in the novel. So that's always, I think, a fascinating um, 
experience is the is kind of how we remember stuff or maybe putting together things from a bunch of years ago when we first saw it or were first introduced to it or we you know when you see the ABC version and they're in the elevator the editing is different on the two of them you know on Kirk and and Savick the way that it's cut is different there's a the close-ups are different in the TV version than in the theatrical version and which is more of like a two shot for the most part they don't they don't do kind of too many close-ups with each other um, in the in the original theatrical version and then you get this different version and I always like that one because I like the close-ups you know yeah, it's, it's interesting that you can see people have edited these together for comparison like on YouTube if you go search for them it's interesting you know little minor like the minorist minorist is that the term but the mind the, the minorist change you're scaring, you're scaring me <laughs> But uh, yeah, because it's just the edit, it's same thing with like Star Trek Six. you know, like the directors of kind of that, like little just frames here and there. You're like, why would they make these changes? It's so odd. But, but I, yeah, I, I, I'm curious, like if people felt gypped when they got the VHS tape and they're like, well, wait, you know, I, I know I have these scenes, like where's Scotty's nephew? Like, like I know that Scotty's nephew died and they had a whole scene about it. And yet yeah. it's not in the, my VHS tape here. I'm sure that drove some people crazy and people all thought like, oh no, no, you just imagine that. It's like, no, no, I saw these scenes on ABC. And then finally when the, the DVDs come out, you know, in the early 2000s, they, they feel vindicated and see, these were here all along. I wasn't crazy. Yeah, and you know, it's and and it's just kind of which you know which version did you see it in? And I I remember once having a, a chat with a fellow fan at a convention after we my wife and I had done a making of Star Trek Six talk, and uh, we were him and I were and he 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 had he swore he swore he was he, he would have laid money that he saw the Colonel West you know, flip the papers over, you know, let's go in and get this guy, you know, when you got Renee Abergen while playing that character, that you, he saw that in the theater in the, in the initial release. And, and it was like, no, you know, you had, you saw that on home video, you know, and it's, and it's, it's hard because our memories are so specific. Like I could swear, I, you know, like I, that's how I remember it, you know? And, um, it is tough and you do and you do sort of and and if you're expecting one thing and when you get the videotape and it's not on there you're like why did they re-edit this thing but they did <laughs> they're showing you the way it really originally right. was you know yeah no i, I just I love, like, oh sorry go ahead no, go ahead I'm, well i was just gonna say i love like they just released the three-hour tv oh, version of super that, Superman, that is exactly right? what i was gonna say <laughs> yeah. yeah no no for real yeah the, the super the three-hour superman cut. oh and it's and like, I, you know, and I again, I it. have, it was a revelation to me. I have such great uh, memories of that. I was, I was a kid. I was very angry because my parents, well, I, I, I had a, uh, a confirmation, I believe I was confirmed the day that it was on. And then my parents had this party for me. And I remember being mad at them. Cause I was like, remember, you know, again, this is the era, no V8. I didn't have a VHS player. Right. So it's like 19, whatever, 1980, whenever that was on TV. And, uh, and I was mad because I wanted to see Superman because there, there were extended scenes like there was there was scenes that I never saw in the theater. And that was the first time I was ever introduced to that concept that there were scenes that you never saw before, you know, that they edit scenes out of films. I never really thought, thought of that too much until Star Wars and the whole Biggs and Jabba and the comic book difference and and Superman. Those were my two sort of introductions to that idea and then um and that they'd re-released it now i just oh my gosh and it's so great because you hear like it's amazing yeah and then they've got like you've got like so jeff east who plays 
Clark in the in the Smallville scenes, yeah, which are some voice. of my favorites. You, yeah, you hear his own voice in, in in some of the scenes because they never dubbed it over because they were not going to include that in the theatrical version. Mm-hmm. I just love that. I mean, to me, it's like it's 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 almost like I felt like watching when I was watching Donner's Superman. I mean, it was like an alternate universe. Like, what? Yeah. Is, why, where? What? Where? What planet am I? On? And um, it felt like a whole new Superman film with Christopher Reeve. It was a gift, you know, a beautiful That's, thing. So it's I, funny, I, both I, our minds went there. <laughs> I mean, there is there is there is footage from Rathacon that people have never seen. That's in the original edit, the sort of first edit of the film. Um, that's never been released either on YouTube or on um, on uh, the Blu-rays or anything like that. And I I I would love for them to do what they did with Star Trek, with Superman and give us every last scrap of footage in there. Yeah. Yeah. And and just be like, here you go. And here it is. And, you know, yes, the pacing isn't great. I mean, because really this, this, the three hour Superman film, there there is some things where the pacing is just like, Oh, Oh, for sure. All the stuff with Lex in the middle with the car, it just goes on and on. Yeah. 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 It's just incredible. But the, but, but I'm okay with that because I want to see, I want to, I want to see that, you know, Oh yeah, so yeah, of the stuff with like Savick being Romulan, and I think there's like an alternate ending uh, with like her and David making eyes at each other on the bridge. Like I've seen clips of that, like in I don't know where it came from, but I've seen it on YouTube. But I've never seen it in any official release. So there's there's it's yeah, and they and they, they did stuff out there to be discovered. So. Yeah, they did they did film the they did film the the the, the Terrell Chekhov con baby scene that was filmed. Uh, they did. They did. Uh, there is a, there is a moment where Savick and David are are on the the when they're in the sort of Genesis cave when they're having the fruit and they're in the the nice part of the cave um, where uh, you know they have a conversation about him being a bastard you know and a bastard child and use those words um, and and Chekhov is in that scene. That's always that's like to me one of the like interesting things. So check there. There's a moment where check where where McCoy actually walks over and checks on Chekhov. And I always thought like that was uh, did they leave poor Chekhov like in the back room like by himself and <laughs> that in that. Cr- but they didn't. He's there. But the way that they film it and the way that we've all seen it, you don't see him. But he is there off to Kirk's side, and they just framed him kind of out and focused more on Kirk and 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 that but there's there's a whole bunch of stuff just within the genesis cave that that was filmed that i would love to see you know and um i hope someday that 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 surfaces and and even if it, they don't upvert it just to be able to see it on something would be great oh of course yeah it was it's a revelation to even get an amazing gift to get the superman footage we have in hd that blew me away but yeah i totally i totally go with the four by three standard definition grainy just let's just see it to see it right yeah Give it to me on uh, Flipbook as long as I get to see the thing, you know. <laughs> right. Well, John, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, man. This has been an amazing conversation and a great oh, incredible. Yeah. Oh, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it, and I hope that uh, you know I'm I'm really glad that uh, Star Trek is back. I'm glad Discovery's back. I hope that uh, we get just more and more and more Star Trek. I think uh, you know I, I Star Trek belongs in, in a weekly format, you know. Uh, as much as I love the films and uh, and I hope that we get more and more and then we just get more and more to research and talk about. And it's just, it's, it's, it's a great time to be a Star Trek fan. That's for sure. It certainly is. And I hope they bring the movies back too. I hope it just keeps coming. 
I do. I'm, I'm hoping for, I'd love to see a fourth adventure. I loved beyond. I thought it was a beautiful film and it was awesome. It just, it was really, uh, you know, I, that so much about it was fantastic. And I, and I hope that that crew get, can get back together again. Absolutely. Well, John, if people want to find you out there on the internet, where can they find you? Uh, best place is uh, on Twitter. If people would like to uh, be great to, to uh, get in contact, just that uh, it's at Tenuto family. And uh, that's my wife and my account. And we do a lot of, you know, we let people know about articles there. And we also post uh, little, you know, pictures of our collection and things like that. And uh, we, sh we, we're, we're not a hundred percent sure, but you know, we, we're, uh, I'm in an episode of the show, the toys that made us uh, about star Wars toys. And mm -hmm. there is an upcoming episode on star Trek toys for everyone to look out for. Yes, I'm looking up forward uh, to that one very much. So. Yeah. And, uh, that my wife and I participated in that as well. So, um, hopefully people will be able to get to see a little bit of our collection and it's a really wonderful history of the making of the Star Trek toys. And, um, and so that's an, an, another way people can, can kind of get some more of our research. And of course, Star Trek.com, we, we write uh, articles, you know, one or two a month and, uh, try to share some of the Star Trek history there as well. All right, well, Star Trek II and videotapes and everything in between isn't the only thing we're talking about here on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what else you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Primitive Culture, a look at history and culture through Star Trek. And I used to, I used to have a pretend phaser, and I used to, you know, I had a tricorder. I, I was about, I think I was a science officer in my head. I wasn't like Kirk or <laughs> Jedi running around saving the galaxy. I was, oh, look at that rock formation over there, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, so I think, which is ironic because I'm the least practical person in the real world. So I'd be useless on a science expedition. I'd be a red shirt. I'd be if I was in Star Trek, car, I'd be a red shirt. I'd be dead as soon as I got on that planet. Right, that that's the more realistic depiction of me in a Star Trek universe. <laughs> right, I'd be the guy killed by the hulking Gorn as soon as I beam down. Ugh! Oh, I see Crewman Black's dead. Yeah, shouldn't have brought him really. Earl Grey. Whoa, you're telling me I can't do the thing that I always do? That's bad. Like I, I don't know about that. Like that that that's that's a very universal thing when you, uh, conservation, whatever. Right. Uh, although I just I didn't I wasn't the biggest fan of the execution and then them completely dropping ball with it for or at least just sweeping it on the rug I should say they just decided like oh, let's talk about I, I I appreciate the fact they brought it up at all honestly like if that had been on TOS to be honest they would have never brought it up again right oh yeah gone <laughs> <laughs> give us warp fourteen again warp five uh, from Major Carpenter which is why he calls himself Carpenter and then he says his first name is John. Jesus Christ, John Carpenter, JC's. Um, and John was His a name disciple. Is John Carpenter? Oh yeah. my God. I, I never made that connection. Whoa. But his, his previous. He's made some really good movies. Because. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Just jumped up a few pegs. <laughs> the Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. You're killing me. I'm going to pull my hair out if that happens, because I really do need to know. What if, like, <laughs> I just had a crazy idea. What if they get the captain in the first episode, but they continue on with these lower deck characters so well that we just never see the captain? And it's like like the teacher in Charlie Brown, like... <laughs> and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and a written review. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and most third-party apps. And you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link as well. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash TrekFM to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month, so we really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We also want to thank very, very much our, our esteemed associate producers, Norman C. Lau, Nicholas Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, and Dan Rhodes. So Norm, Nick, Tim, Richard, Corey, and Dan, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. It means as much as we can, compl- can possibly tell you uh, the world to us that, that you've agreed to sign on and help keep Standard Orbit alive and well. Yes, thank you so much, guys. We really do appreciate all your contributions. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select Standard Orbit. That will come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. As for us personally... You can find me on Twitter at MoronZach, that's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. And I'm also the host of my own show called Always Hold On to Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. What about you, Ken? You can find me on Twitter as well at BostonSCPO, stands for at Boston Senior Chief Petty Officer. And I'm also on the Babel Conference whenever I can be engaging and trying to add, you know, a lot of good provocative suggestions to our other shows but anyway we look forward to seeing you on the babel conference and responding back and forth on this show as well all right well that's going to do it for us this week but stay tuned next time for another edition of standard orbit <laughs>